Hello, everyone. Hey. Welcome to Blood and Wine. My name's Brittany. And I'm Tyler. And this is a very special episode. Yes, it is. So we have been hinting at this for the last couple of weeks, a little I, bit longer on social. Hinting. I mean, <laughs> I don't <laughs> okay. know how much hinting it was. as okay. just flat out telling y'all. But... <laughs> Outright telling you guys. But this episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be interviewing two of the lead investigators for an investigation discovery documentary that's coming out later this week, Cold Valley. So the first episode comes out November 29th. We've actually seen this first episode, and y'all, it's really, really good. And the fact that we did not get to see the second part, I'm like, okay, all right. So we've been waiting to <laughs> finish up this two-part series for six weeks now yeah, a while yeah uh, oh. so the second part the finale comes out december 6th yes and y'all if you have dvr make sure to record this if you have um i don't know just not dvr just regular tv you know check out when it's going to be airing at your local time and do a watch party. I'm telling you. Oh, yeah. Please do, like, an Investigation Discovery Blood and Wine watch party because, oh, my gosh, we should do that. I know. Why don't... I love this idea. Why don't we live stream? We could live stream, but also see if we can invite over some people to oh, maybe yeah. watch it. Have, like, a watch party. Okay. So we're going to try to plan this out. I like this idea yes, a lot. Yes, me too. <laughs> um, and... Tyler's going to go into a little bit more detail here in a little bit about what yes. is what's in Cold Valley, but a brief synopsis is there's a potential serial killer that's been out on the loose for 35 30, years yeah. or thereabouts. So, um, yeah, definitely creepy, definitely up our alley. Absolutely. <laughs> and so I think actually before you... Tell our listeners what we're going to be. Yeah, we'll we'll flip the script a little bit and. Yeah, I'm going to tell you guys about a wine. Us. Because of course we've got to have a wine. We do. We really wanted to find a wine from the Lewis Clark Valley area. Unfortunately, we couldn't find a Lewis Clark Valley wine no. in our area. But this area is between Washington and Idaho. It's There are two, I guess you could call them sister cities, Lewiston, Idaho, and Clarkston, Washington. Mm -hmm. And this area has some very lush soil, and there have been grapes growing there for a very long time, mm -hmm. since 1872. Wow. <laughs> and it's actually the newest American viticulture area in oh. Idaho and Washington. And the winemakers there are growing grapes that are used for bold, award-winning, premium wines. Oh, my God. Yes. So we absolutely have to get our hands on one of these eventually. Um, there are 16 vineyards that grow more than 81 acres of grapes. And there's about 20 different unique varietals of grapes. Oh. <laughs> and there's nine different wineries in the area. Hmm. So... Definitely want to check those out. Um, since we weren't able to get something from the Lewis Clark Valley, we did get a Washington wine. Yes. Uh, we did the Wild Haven 2014 Reserve Merlot from mm. Horse Heaven Hills in the Columbia Valley. And this is the south central area of Washington. Yeah, I mean, it's everything west or everything east of the Cascades is pretty much considered eastern Washington. Right. So 
It is. It is. It's, but a, it's, it's all Eastern Washington. It's all Eastern. We have not done a Merlot ever, no. I think, on our podcast. Uh, well, so Merlots are... We're I'm scared not the of biggest them a little bit. Fan, usually. <laughs> Merlots are one that... I, I always think of a Merlot as being, like, super fruity and um that and very whatnot. velvety, like, smoothness that I'm like, eh, I'm not But, really. like, no tannins, no, yeah. like, oaky that we always like. They're not as bold as, um like, the calves and the, the zens that we really yeah. enjoy. But when we were at Total Wine, we were talking to um, this guy, Brian. Shout out to you because you're our wine guy now. Yes. But we were talking to him, letting him know that we needed a Washington wine, you know, preferably Eastern Washington. And he led us to the Wild Haven wines and specifically this Reserve Merlot. We did look at their cab first. Yes. However... He was saying, actually, there's a Merlot that I really like. And he, it's funny because he would talk about his wine palette and he said exactly what I just said about yeah. the Cabin's Inn, which is how I have always felt about Merlots. And he's like, you know, this was a really good one to take a step back into Merlot and I really enjoyed it. And so we were like, okay, well, right. uh, we're going to give this a freaking go. So this is the 2014. A freaking go. We're going to give it a freaking go. Okay. We're going to do it. Okay. Um, this is a, the 2014, and it does say that it is elegant and full-bodied, so mm. that's something we have to keep in mind when we try it, because some of the reviews were saying that it wasn't full-bodied. They were like, I don't know what they're talking about. Oh. But there are aromas of blackberries and currants, and the flavors are ripe fig and black plum. Okay. And then it's followed by this soft tannic finish. It's supposed to be really good with stews, beef, venison, like grilled veggies. Okay. Very fall type foods. Yeah. So, um. Which, honestly, that's kind of when I think of drinking a Merlot is when drinking like a hearty, like when it's cold outside meal. So. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, but this label, look, it's got like horses running and it's kind of cute. Oh, and this one, it's pretty strong. It's 14.8% alcohol by volume. Wow. So okay. this is a stronger red. Like, definitely pretty bold. Yeah. So I think it's time to open it up. Do it. Oh, you guys, we are now in my living room using my new coffee table, which is really helping us in, with fun. our recording equipment. And y'all, I'm obsessed with my table. It's I don't think I've told our listeners about... We've been doing so many DIY things we lately. Have. Like, I literally think all of my coworkers think I'm just like this... I, I don't know. They're like, what do you... You do so many things, which I guess is true. I mean, yeah. <laughs> my All my coworkers assume I'm always either podcasting or, like, building something. Which is which true. Is, yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. If y'all don't see me, I'm either doing that or getting those sweet... Four and a half hours of sleep a night. Woo! Because <laughs> who needs sleep? I don't know. Sleep is real. nothing. But no, this uh, coffee table is just a very simple, like, live edge. Um, Ooh. Oh, yeah. It's a live edge coffee table. It's a big piece of cedar with hairpin legs. But, y'all, I sanded this thing for so long. Months she, and months of sanding. Did. But I'm very proud of it because... Um, ooh, smell that cork. Ooh. I like that. Anyway, I made it all by myself from start to finish. She I, wouldn't let me help. Tyler tried to help me put on the legs, and I was like, drop the drill. 
drop the drill. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) But it was very important to me to build this completely from scratch on my own. No, and that's fair. So, all right. Well, let's pour this and see what it looks like. It's a nice, pretty color. It always, um, I've always find it interesting when thinking about the color of wines because you can look and see like when you have a glass of Pinot Noir just how much lighter and and not <laughs> as heavy it is compared to like a cab or something and it's a much more like clear red as yeah. opposed to like the darker purples of like a Merlot or a cab so smell that wow. I feel like I can smell the fruit for sure like oh uh, yeah I mean this does not smell like a cab or a zen. Nope. I mean, it's not, so that's why it doesn't smell that's like this. Fair. But All right. Cheers. I think it's plum. I think it's the plum we're smelling. Or maybe I it's... don't think I've ever smelled a plum in my life. Fig. No, it's totally fig. Think about fig newtons. Fig newtons are gross, but no, actual figs are Oh, my are God. Good. Fig newtons are so good. Okay. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Very soft tannins. There is no bite at all. No, that's... That's smooth. Mm. It it is smooth. Yes. It needs to breathe. It does. You definitely get a lot of those fruit flavors and you get very, very little tannin and very Yeah. No, it's it's a good wine. It does need to breathe. Yeah. So we're gonna set our glasses aside and let them breathe a little bit and we'll we'll come back to this and let you know what it tastes like in about five minutes. Yes. But okay, well, this is we don't normally let our wines breathe like we this. don't we might should but i know i was as i was saying i was like actually this is probably something we should do true um but usually i'm just really wanting to just drink a bottle of wine so i'm always just wanting to drink a bottle of wine Fair. yeah i know we briefly looked into ordering wine from we the Clark Valley area but it's it was one of those things we were worried about not getting it in time. Yeah. And but they were also pricey and a little bit more than the price range yeah. we normally stick to, which also brings me to the fact the Wild Haven was like nineteen, I it think. It was. It was it was a little more, bit higher. But in this episode with how with the structure of everything, we opted for one bottle instead of two. Which meant we since could we're get interviewing them. Uh, so we get a nice <laughs> bottle. Yes, so we decided to get a little bit of a nicer one. But we were worried that the ones... So it's like the ones from the Lewis Clark Valley were like 20 to 30 a bottle plus $20 shipping. We yeah. were like, okay, we would have to rush this and da-da-da-da. Yeah, I didn't think it would... But if any of y'all know of any stores that have a wine from the Lewis Clark Valley, let us let know. Let us know. Because we looked at um, HEB and then also Total Wine, and we couldn't find any there. There were there were a lot of Washington wines, just none from that region. Yeah. Which I think since there's only nine vineyards there, or like nine wineries, mm-hmm. it may be something that we can only order. Has it breathed enough? Oh, wow. It's definitely breathed more. Oh, now you get the flavors. Yeah. Okay. That's a much like deeper wine. This is, I can see why it's called full body. It's just very soft tannins, which makes me think that one comment I read about it not being full body, that they were thinking about the tannins and not the body of it. Yeah. But um, this is a really good, I can see why this would be great with a steak. Mm-hmm. This would be a great wine with a steak. But yeah, uh, let it breathe for a few minutes and then all those flavors can really pop out. 
Yeah, I wasn't super, super sure when we first opened it. I know, it. I saw the look on your face. Um, <laughs> you but, were like, there's a reason I don't like Merlot. Yeah, but no, <laughs> this, first off, this does not taste like a typical Merlot. No, it doesn't. Okay, well, we've talked about the wine. Yes. We've semi-introduced the topic. A little bit, a little bit. Um, so now, here's a little introduction to Cold Valley. We're on the trail of the right guy here. From 1979 until 1982, five people ended up missing or dead. We have our own little serial killer. I think he's gotten away with murder over and over and over. I'm not afraid of him. He should be afraid of me. Cold Valley, an all-new special event, begins next Thursday at 9, only on Investigation Discovery. All right. Well, that's a just... The promo for the show. Yes. It's super exciting, like we said. Uh, now, Tyler's going to do a little bit of an intro of, of the cases and what the Cold Valley potential serial killer is all about. Yes. So, uh, forewarning, this little introduction by no means even does that much of a deep dive into it. You have to watch the show. It is incredible. And the work that the investigators are doing is incredible. But I'm going to give you all a little bit of background. It'll help you all with the um, some of the questions that are coming up in the interview. Yes. So on April 28th of 1979, Christina White, who was 12 years old, went missing. Uh, she had recently left the Asotin County Fair in Asotin, Washington, after getting overheated. Uh, she went to a friend's house to cool down and she called her mom. Uh, her mom told her that, um, you know, I'll see you when you get home. Just make sure to put a wash rag on the back of your neck. Unfortunately, she had just laid her little sister down to go uh, for a nap. So she was not able to get. Yeah, mom couldn't leave. Yeah. But she told her, she told Christina to, you know, cool down and then head this way. I'll be waiting for yeah, you. Yeah, that she'd like meet her in the street. Yeah. Christina never came home. Her mom waited in the street at the end of the driveway. Christina and her bike never showed up. The only piece of physical evidence that was ever found of Christina were some school papers that were found uh, on a farm outside of a Soton uh, by the farmer. They were in pretty good condition. This, this wasn't long after she disappeared, and so everything was in good condition, but this was the only piece of evidence they ever found about her. And her body has never been located. And this evidence, unfortunately, hasn't led anywhere. Yep. They found the papers, but they haven't found anything else. Yeah. And they've pretty much run out of trails to follow. On June 26th of 1981, so about two years after the dis disappearance of Christina White, 22-year-old Kristen David went missing. Kristen was a college student up in Moscow, Idaho, at the University of Idaho, and she decided to take a bike ride, about 30-mile bike ride, uh, from Moscow to Lewiston. It was a ride she'd done multiple times before. It yeah. wasn't a big deal. It was also the 80s, so she didn't have a car. She didn't take her bike. She never made it to Lewiston. Mm -hmm. She... Her uh, co-workers called their family saying, you know, where is she? She didn't show up for work. And they instantly knew something was wrong. Because she 
never, Kristen always showed up for things. She never mm-hmm. was late, never a no call, no show. So her family knew something was going on. After this, her family reported her missing uh, because something happened. Something must have happened to Kristen. Unfortunately, due to the law at the time, police had to wait at least 48 hours after her disappearance to actually begin searching. And a lot of that is because she was an adult, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, adults, you know, we're when you're an adult, you can just get up and go and who knows, maybe you're... Maybe she diverted on her bike and just decided, you know what? Screw work. I just want a weekend to myself. Yeah. So there's a reason this this law was in effect. Yes. So then on July 4th of 1981, about 10 days after she disappeared, her dismembered body was found in garbage bags under the Red Wolf Crossing Bridge. It was, I believe, five trash bags. A couple fishermen were fishing in the area. Yeah. And saw these, opened them up, and to their horror, found Kristen's... Torso, I believe. Maybe it was... I actually think it was a foot that they found. I'm not sure. Any part of the body that you would ever find would be absolutely horrifying. But these body parts just wrapped in newspaper Mm -hmm. in these bags. And uh, while they did have a lot of evidence from this, again, her killer has never been found. Then, on September 12th, of 1982, so about one year later, mm-hmm. Christina Nelson, who was 21, Brandy Miller, who was her stepsister and was 18, and Stephen Pearsall, who was 35, all went missing on the same night. And I, I do want to take a moment that a lot of these disappearances may not sound, you know, oh, okay, it's been one year, someone died, someone disappeared. This is a very small town. This yeah, is this small is town America. Deal. I mean, this is huge. Mm-hmm. And the, the fact that these seem to be connected is mind-blowing. Yes. So Christina and Brandy were last seen walking down the street next to the Lewiston Civic Theater on their way to the grocery store. They had left the house and left a note and most of their belongings behind, which meant that they, they thought they'd be back pretty quickly. It was a quick walk to the grocery store to grab some stuff for whatever they were, they were hanging out yeah. that night. You know, just run to the store. Um, but they, they never made it back home. No. They disappeared that night and were never seen again. Stephen, on the other hand, was in the Lewiston Civic Theater practicing his clarinet that night and washing his clothes. He worked there as a janitor, so it wasn't uncommon for him to go late at night or at odd hours to do his laundry, to practice clarinet. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also an aspiring actor and was in a few shows. So the Lewiston Civic Theater was almost his second home, really. He was last seen walking into the theater that night. And no one ever saw him walk out. And no one ever saw him walk out. So with the disappearance of Stephen, as well as Christina and Brandy, happening so close in proximity, their walk took them past the Civic Theater. He, uh, Stephen was actually inside the Civic Theater. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be a connection there. But the question is, was Stephen a victim or was he involved in the kidnapping of Christina Nelson and Brandy Miller? Flash forward about a year and a half to March 19th of 1984, two bodies were discovered in a remote field by a teenager who was in the area. 
the two bodies were highly skeletonized and had been there for a long time. Their bodies had traces of clothing as well as cording around them, uh, cording similar to something you might see or you might use to hang up clothing outside to dry. Or possibly something that could be used in a theater, like for the curtains or something. Yes. And it's important to note that the Lewiston Civic Theater used a specific type of cording uh, in the curtains, I believed, to hoist them and move them. The two bodies were later identified as belonging to Christina Nelson and Brandy Miller. Stephen has never been found, his body or him alive. So, and this is why that question remains, is he a victim or is he somehow involved? Mm -hmm. And uh, I do believe, for most accounts, like most everyone believes that he's a victim as well. Yes, they do. But there is still that lingering question until you can find evidence of him. Where was he and how was he involved in this? Yep. So all of these murders appear to be connected in some way. And, again, with the area that they all happened in being very rural, it's a small, tight-knit community and farms. Like, that's that's the kind of area we're talking about. And the disappearances and murders all happen within the span of about three years, mm-hmm. which is just horrifying and shocking for everyone in these communities. There is, however, one person who had links to all of these victims. There is one person who, through circumstantial evidence, has been linked to these people, the places, and these murders. But since that evidence is only circumstantial, they can't they can't do anything yet. There's not enough evidence at this moment to to bring him bring him in. Uh, they've interviewed him, but of course now he's all lawyered up, mm-hmm. and there's not hard evidence that's enough to accuse him of murder. Yeah, the so only... there's nothing that could potentially hold up in court. Yeah, all of the evidence they have points to this one person, but all of the evidence is circumstantial. Location, the fact that he happened to be in the same areas. The fact that uh, he was the last person known to have seen Christina White there in 79. And just things like that. But again... His relation, his connection to many of the victims. But due to the fact that all of this is circumstantial, this person cannot be considered a suspect, only a person of interest. And their name cannot be released. And this is exactly why... These two lead investigators are working so hard on this case, and these are the details that you're going to learn in Cold Valley, is how they're trying to find some real evidence to get some answers to determine how these stories are connected and how this potential person of interest is involved in finding that hard evidence that's enough to bring him in. With that, thank you, Tyler. That was a really good overview of these cases. You're very welcome. (laughs) I'm going to do now a brief introduction to the two people we're going to be interviewing here in just a moment. The first is Jackie Nichols. She is the Asotan County Sheriff's Detective, and she has made it one of her missions to Mm -hmm. solve this case. She's been detective on these open cases since 2007, and... She works during her spare time. She, of course, already has a huge mm-hmm. caseload. Oh, yeah. She's the sheriff's detective for this county. And while it is a rural county, 
she has so much on her plate in general and she still works so hard to solve this cold case yes and she really wants to give these families an answer yeah because for 35 years they've had none and she is y'all y'all will hear in just a few minutes but she is just a certified grade a badass oh yes absolutely (laughs) and just from the first opening minutes of the documentary you see her going out into the field being like we're gonna find some evidence getting a shovel digging up trying to find what she can it's oh i love her it's amazing to watch her what she's doing and again we've just had a insight via the show but jackie's been working on this and uh, has a picture of christina white at her desk so it's always top of mind yeah the second person we're going to be interviewing is one of these family members it's gloria boberts she's the cousin of christina nelson who was one of the girls that was killed in 1982 and uh, her remains were found a couple of years later gloria has dedicated her life to tracking every single move of this person of interest trying Mm -hmm. to reveal and prove that he's committed crimes all across the country not just the ones in the lewis clark valley so these two women are total badasses like tyler was saying and we are so excited to have the opportunity to discuss this case with them yeah and some of the some of the investigations and the evidence that gloria has found i mean the the fact that she is not a professional investigator is insane because she is a hurricane. She has literally everything you need to be a professional investigator. Yeah. You know, like she, she has the insight, she has the know-how. Well, now let's get ready for the interview. The stories about this boogeyman were told my entire life. It did haunt everyone. If you lived next door to somebody who was suspected in five deaths, wouldn't you be scared of him? I mean, I would be. I don't think that this man started when he got to Lewiston, and I don't know that he stopped. You could scream for a long time right here, and no one would ever hear you. This would be a serial killer's wonderland. I mean, how many bodies could be here? Okay, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, yes. yes there we go. Hello. Hi. Hi I'm Brittany. I'm Tyler. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Tyler. It's so good to meet y'all. Um, so we watched the first half of the special just a couple of... A couple um, weeks ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, so I'm so excited for this. Yes, and oh, we're we're so appreciative of you two taking some time to chat with us tonight and be on our podcast. It means a lot. Yeah, we're glad. Thank well, you. I'm glad too. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Uh-huh. Gloria just got here from California today. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. All right. Well, do you want to jump into questions? Well, Gloria, our first question is for you. Um, So what is the work that you've been doing for the last 10 years or so um, towards solving the cases? Researching. Researching the the suspect. Mm -hmm. In all the research that I do, I hand the information that I feel would help Kaki. I hand it to her. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's awesome. And um, I guess what what kind of information has been most telling that you've found? Well, (laughs) there's been quite a few different... Quite a few different uh, little nuggets that Gloria's unearthed over the years, so mm-hmm. it's. I'm sorry to jump in and no, interrupt, no. but 
as, as from the law enforcement perspective, um, some of those little kernels of information that she's found have been um, important to the case, important for establishing um, timelines and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, just really good information that she's been able to dig up. That's great. Okay. Yeah. That is great. So, Jackie, my question is for you. Um, how do you find time to continue to work on this case, given all of your other caseloads? It is really tough uh, because I do have a full caseload. I am the only detective for the county. Oh, wow. There's a, another detective um, in the city jurisdiction in a small town that's in in the area. And then there's a larger town across the river, and they have detectives. So I do occasionally have people to collaborate with. But for our county, I am the only detective, and so that means I work on everything from uh, child abuse cases, arson, burglary, robberies, oh, wow. serious wow. uh, fatal car accidents, mm -hmm. unattended death scenes, um, you know, rapes, mm -hmm. all the child mm -hmm. abuse and child sexual abuse cases. Mm -hmm. And I have to prioritize what I work on. And so what that means is a lot of times the... I work on the cold cases on my own time. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Because I, I'm always feel like I'm behind on just the cases I have. Like property crimes, I have a really hard time getting to property crimes. Mm -hmm. But for people who are victims, those crimes are really important to them. Right. Yeah. So it, it's always a juggling act. Um, but these cold cases are very compelling because mm -hmm. of the family and. Mm -hmm you know, the ages of these young women and the yeah. horrendous crimes. And so yeah. I'm just drawn back to working on them whenever I can. Absolutely. And, and somebody like Jackie that does that and does it on her own time, that's, that is just wonderful because, you know, it, these people wouldn't have that part of, you know, their voice. And she is part of that. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Trying to solve it. We're not forgotten. Yeah. Right. Well, and kind of on that note, when did Investigation Discovery reach out to y'all to do the Cold Valley special? I was looking back, and it was, for me, sometime in the spring of 2016. Okay. okay. We started talking about it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. And they were talking about, you know, what what's going on with these cases? What would you like to do? Um, what have you thought about doing? And how would you feel about having a camera crew follow you around while you do some of these things? <laughs> yeah. And what is what is that like having the cameras with you while you're just doing your your daily work? At first, it was pretty awkward for me, um, mm -hmm. but once they you know kind of done that a few times, then I sort of got used to it, and mm -hmm. um, it was fine. Yeah. You know, they were super nice, and um, they were really interested in not interfering but showing what I was doing, and yeah. so they they did a really good job, I think, of not letting the program dictate the investigation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not um, ever interfering with the investigation, but uh, just trying to document the process. That's yeah, great. Absolutely. I guess jumping back in time here a bit, where were you both um, in 1979 when Christina White first disappeared? I was graduating high school. <laughs> And I was in the ninth grade, wow. but I was, I was not in the area. Um, I was in Spokane, which is a mm -hmm. 120 some miles to the north. 
And so I wasn't aware of the Christina White case at the time. Mm -hmm. But um, Christina White was not a lot younger than I was. And yeah. so that's certainly something that's been in my mind as I've worked on the case that um, we were around the same age. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's not something I I'd thought about. Mm -hmm. um, when you first did learn of the Christina White case, you know, what what was your reaction to it? And, and what well, really started to draw I, you in? I was intrigued because I we had moved to the community and I'd heard lots of stories. Because it's a smaller community, there were a lot of stories and rumors and misconceptions about the cases, and so I'd heard a lot of things. And so when I moved into the detective position, I was really interested in finding the case and going through it and seeing if there was anything, um, you know, kind of with a fresh look at it or with modern technology that could be done. So... Jumping forward a little bit to the disappearance of Kristen David, um, it was mentioned that unfortunately due to the laws at the time, police weren't able to really jump into action for 48 hours um, after she disappeared. Do you think if they had been able to jump in and start searching immediately that she could have been found alive? And I think that that's maybe one of the misconceptions about that case mm -hmm. because uh, she had already been missing for quite some time when she was reported missing because okay. at that time there weren't cell phones. People didn't mm -hmm. check in as right. quickly as they did. So when she missed work, and that was when people got concerned because she was a very reliable person. Mm -hmm. And so they began looking and... Um, she was reported missing once everyone kind of put the dots together that nobody knew where she was. Okay. But she lived in one area, she commuted to another area, and again, it was before the days of cell phones and computers and email and all of that, so, mm -hmm. you know, it was harder to get in touch with people. And so it took longer to figure out that no one knew where she was yeah. and that she really was missing. But once people realized that, it was reported to law enforcement and they started right away. Okay. So I know in other circumstances when it used to be that you had to wait that time before you could report someone missing. Right. And then law enforcement realized those hours and minutes are our most crucial time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so that's no longer a, a policy or a rule where you have to wait. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So jumping into um, the disappearance of Brandy and Christina, they were, you know, out walking, happened to be in the area of the Lewiston Civic Theater on the night of September 12th. Do, do we believe that they possibly went into the theater and that they were somehow um, in that location that night? Well, you want to answer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we both worked on yeah. these, either one of us. Um, yes. And theory that we've kind of come up with is that they met up with the suspect as they were um, walking back home. Is that kind of what you... Well, and I, I haven't really put my mind on to at what point they ran across our, you know, the person of interest, but I know <laughs> that their paths crossed, yeah. and I know where they most likely crossed, and it was probably more in the downtown area of Lewiston, oh. just based on his statements and based on the information we know about the girls and then going out and actually walking around 
um, mm -hmm. and taking the most, um, what seems like it would be the most logical route for them to walk mm -hmm. and thinking about the timeline that had been provided by the suspect, the timeline the family and friends have provided and trying to make those paths intersect and see where that was most likely to have happened. Um, it could have happened by the theater. I mean, it's mm -hmm. in the same relative area. Yeah. But in doing all of that, I think it's more likely they cross paths downtown. Mm -hmm. But whether that was um, before they went to the store, on their way home from yeah. the store, yeah. I don't know that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, you know, in speaking of um, Brandy and Christina's disappearance, Stephen Pearsall is mentioned in the beginning as early on very much being kind of the prime suspect in their disappearance. With what we know now today, and knowing that he's still missing, is he still considered a suspect in that case, or is he seen more as probably a victim of the same crime? A victim. Mm -hmm. A victim. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, he, he probably walked in on something that was happening there. Mm -hmm. And from everybody that we have spoken to, I've spoken to friends that have you know, they knew him personally, um, he wouldn't just up and disappear. He, he right. was in touch with his family. Um, you know, there was nothing, how would you say, strange about him or anything, just a, a normal, pretty much guy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of the things, he didn't have his car with him, he didn't have any money, mm -hmm. you know, diabetic. There are a lot of things that don't fit as far as, like, he could be, you know, responsible. Right, right. Well, and I think given the amount of time that's passed and absolutely no shred of a bit of evidence that Stephen Pearsall is alive anywhere has mm -hmm. ever surfaced. Mm -hmm. And so just because of that, it makes it less likely that he was a suspect and more likely he was a victim. Yeah. Right. And just but There just is nothing... You know, and of course, right away, people are looking at everybody in that closed circle. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what you do. You start, you know, small, and then you spread out looking at, at possible suspects and things like that. And so the fact that he disappeared the same night the girls did mm -hmm. um, certainly put him in that suspect area mm -hmm. at the time. That yeah. I don't think was unreasonable. But I think in the totality of everything we know today, he most certainly was a victim. Yeah. yeah. It very much seems that there's a possibility he was just wrong place, wrong time that night. Right. So, yeah. So, and then kind of jumping into this was a really honestly a random question that we thought of, but is there any connection that it, it goes to the fact that the three of the girls have similar names, Christina, Kristen, and Christina? I I don't like to say this because it's kind of after we're being around law enforcement, um, there's really nothing that's a coincidence, but I, I don't feel so, but Jackie, I, no, I've always, uh, you know, had that in the back of my mind mm -hmm. that we have several victims with the same similar name, but from what we can see from the various crimes, they seem to be crimes of opportunity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it would be really difficult to coordinate that. Yeah. And also, mm -hmm. at that time, that was a popular name. Mm -hmm. You know, I had 
friends at that age, you know, that were Chris and Kristen and Christina and Kirsten and mm -hmm. um, lots of variations of that. So it, it could actually be a coincidence, but it does, you know, it does kind of stand out. Yeah. It does. It does. Okay. So, you know, in speaking of the idea of this connection they all had, when did that first become really something that y'all grabbed onto that there is a connection in these disappearances and these murders. It wasn't until the case of Brandy and Christina from the vicinity of the theater, mm -hmm. because that is what tied that disappearance and ultimate homicide into the Christina White case mm -hmm. that we law enforcement learned that um, this person of interest not only was in the theater that night that those two girls disappeared and Stephen Pearsall disappeared, mm -hmm. but he also owned the home where Christina White was last seen. Okay. And so right. that was kind of a um, revelation for law enforcement at that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, I don't believe he'd really been considered a suspect at all right. in any wow. of the crimes. Wow. So it was at that point. Well, and, and that, and it might have even been overlooked, except he himself placed placed himself in the theater that night. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, which I, I think in retrospect, he really wishes he hadn't made that comment. Yeah, I'm sure he does. <laughs> um, <laughs> and speaking of the person of interest, with all of the circumstantial evidence that's out there, what what is the evidence that y'all are looking for, or types of evidence that could be that missing link? where you could really um, bring him in and try to get a conviction. It's really DNA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Find a case that we can link a person to, to him mm -hmm. that would have in DNA that could be tested. And you, one of the misconceptions is that you can just take DNA, mm -hmm. like his DNA, let's say, mm -hmm. just put it into CODIS and watch the red flags light up. You can't do that. Right. Yeah. And so you, you know, it's been kind of, um, it's tedious mm -hmm. to try to find something and, and it's a little link. bit working backwards Yeah. because yeah. typically in a case we, we have the evidence and then we say, okay, what can we compare this to? Mm -hmm. Well, in a lot of these cases with our person of interest, we don't have suspect DNA from the case. Like in the Christina White case, there's no evidence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's gone. We don't have a body, anything. Yeah. And then in the other cases, the evidence is so degraded because it's so old that we haven't been able to find DNA. Yeah. And so what uh, we've been working on, Gloria's been working on, is looking at other cases around the country that mm -hmm. maybe our person of interest is linked to, but already have DNA, yeah. suspect yeah. DNA. Like we know that he lived in the Bay Area. And mm -hmm. he was arrested down there. So you start looking at where he worked, um, who he associated with, mm -hmm. and see who's missing there. There were any murders down there? Do they have DNA? And it is a you're you're going back in time. Mm -hmm. and, right. and now these cases are getting so old to find somebody that remembers details or you know is that's hard too. You know, yeah. It, it, yeah. yeah. Well, and and. Realistically, juries expect to see DNA now. Right. Mm -hmm. so, you know, the CSI effect has, has made it uh, <laughs> yes. a little more difficult. Yeah. Uh, the technology doesn't work as quickly as, as it's portrayed. Mm -hmm. um, it is there, but uh, 
juries really do like to see that now. And so even though we have a mountain of circumstantial evidence, we really need that um, forensic evidence mm -hmm. to come through. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, so, and since the, the Golden State Killer, there have been so many cold cases, you know, that are being solved or a suspect is mm -hmm. brought in and they're looking at it. You know, there's always hope there that one that we don't know about all of a sudden, bingo, it, it's going to happen. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, and that, that's been so fascinating this year, seeing mm -hmm. those ancestry sites actually helping out in cold cases. I just, right. I love seeing that. Mm -hmm. And of course, my in my dream world, I'm like, okay, maybe they can finally solve Zodiac. That would be so cool to <laughs> right? finally know what that, what happened. So, mm -hmm. but it's just been really cool seeing like, oftentimes new news articles popping up of more cases being solved that way. Right. So. right. And the technology just continues to get better. Mm -hmm. And so that's in our favor. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Definitely. Well, with all of this evidence and all the research that's gone into the person of interest, do you think that this person has murdered elsewhere? Yes, absolutely. It's just that's so scary to think about yeah. uh, that he's just been just been there all along and, and doing this and mm -hmm. somehow yeah. covering the his tra tracks just enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's frightening and, and Gloria can tell you about this is that in looking at serial killers, how many there are mm -hmm. and how many yeah. haven't been caught over the years. Yes. And you have to look at all those, and you have to look at the methods. And it is a very, very dark <clears throat> subject. But you can't just focus on this, on him and not look at the others. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. he might have played off of them, um, doing something that varied from what he likes, what satisfies him, in order to continue killing. And we have to look at that, too. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we don't know with this person... Partially because the Kristen David homicide is markedly different from the other cases. Yes. Whether we really have two serial killers here mm -hmm. or one that changes up his M.O. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, because this person of interest was um, uh, active in the theater and was known to be kind of a character, mm -hmm. it wouldn't um, oh, surprise me yeah. if he did do things differently. Like we know most serial killers have a certain way they do things, mm -hmm. but maybe this guy changed things up, you know, to throw us off or just to play act, you know, some other role. I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Well, and that, that was actually our next question about if there's thoughts, if there are two killers out there or mm -hmm. just one. And I hadn't thought about that angle that he is in the theater and mm -hmm. that really does open up I, the possibility. I tips and people, um, get a hold of me regarding him going out and, and being in public in, you know, costume for, you know, because he, he did so many plays and he could change his looks up. The one thing, though, I, I think would stand out with him that he couldn't hide would be his height. He's, he's a tall man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that would definitely stand out. But, that, you know, he could try to blend in, but that is one that just, it's there. Yeah, yeah, you can't hide that. Um, in Kristen David's case, you know, and in these cases in general, a lot of the investigation, um, especially on the initial side, seems to have been done a lot by the families. 
And it, when the families really bring themselves into investigating these missing persons cases, is that something that's usually helpful towards law for law enforcement? Can I take this? Yeah. Yeah. When you have a family member and they're and they're doing this research, mm -hmm. um, one thing I can say is educate yourself. Yeah, it waste law enforcement's time. Jackie is a busy woman, and I am mm -hmm. not going <laughs> to. I don't want to waste her time. Yeah, and he's also been, you know, very helpful as far as like this is what I'm looking for, Gloria. This is what I need. You know, mm -hmm. I can take this, but this is the part that's going to be really important if, if you can do this. So when families are getting involved in this, for one, you can't be get hysterical and, and lose it, okay? Because mm -hmm. they immediately will shut law enforcement down. Mm -hmm. They want to hear the facts. They want it short, sweet, simple. Want to know your source, where you got it from. Um, if you got it from a person, make sure you tell that person you're going to give this to law enforcement, mm -hmm. and they contact you. And nine times out of ten, they're willing to do that. So. Um, that's really good advice. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I, no, that's that's really good advice because it can be a double-edged sword mm -hmm. um, with families because there's so much raw emotion for them, right. and we really do appreciate that. But we're trying to look at the case from a prosecutable standpoint, mm -hmm. and so um, you know what we can use, what we can't use, and that type of thing. And we can't ask family members to be our agents. Like I could never ask Gloria, hey, could you contact this person and ask them this or that? Right. Mm -hmm. Or um, anything that would make her an agent of law enforcement. So she yeah. can research everything out there that she can find on cold cases, things like that. And, and that is awesome because I don't have time to do that. Mm -hmm. But I could never say, hey, could you try to get an interview from this suspect mm -hmm. or any or go on this property because I can't I would I would never do that and right. the reason being is because you know when it comes down to prosecution it'll throw it out right yeah mm -hmm. it's like a tampering kind mm -hmm. of thing right yeah wow. so um, but I totally understand families frustration with law enforcement um, a lot of times law enforcement is closed mouth about a mm -hmm. lot of parts mm -hmm. of the investigation absolutely and that can be hard for families to understand but even yeah. like with the Kristen David case there's some uh, currently there's some individuals out there that are going around and I think they have some serious mental health issues mm -hmm. and they're mm -hmm. claiming to have witnessed that murder and to have lots of information about oh, wow. it and I've I've spent a lot of time listening to those people and following up on their information but at the end of the day, they have the facts wrong. Yeah. And those are facts that haven't been published. Mm -hmm. And so by keeping those facts close, I can tell if someone makes a false confession or if someone has a false memory mm -hmm. that Absolutely. they don't actually know what happened, yeah. even though they may believe they know what happened. Mm -hmm. Right. And they get frustrated with me. Yeah. Um, but But I know what the facts of the case are, and I have to keep them close so that we can kind of sort through all that other stuff that comes in and in cases like this that kind of stuff turns into mountains yes yeah. when you have an individual that is you know claiming um to have seen something or or such as that that makes it hard for somebody you know that is researching and i 
has the stuff to make it get through to law enforcement. You know, they, mm -hmm. they will shut down. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't have time for it. So, yeah. And, again, law enforcement time is very, very precious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it is very much. Well, and with these cases being cold for so long and, and still open, how, how has it affected the towns to this day? Well, here, the, the cases are still well-known. People mm -hmm. talk about them. Um, people have a lot of misinformation about them, and that gets um, repeated and pulled through stories and things like that, mm -hmm. uh, which is part of why I I'm, I'm love the way the show portrayed everything, mm -hmm. because they really, really were careful to fact-check everything and to make sure they were portraying the um, accurate uh events as mm -hmm. you know as we talk about them and to have law enforcement be involved in the show you are getting the fact and yeah from mm -hmm. different agencies and from that standpoint that's that's good because other law enforcement might look at that and go hey i remember that or mm -hmm. i remember this over here or the case looks like what they have there mm -hmm. and so it you know hopefully right. that will bring law enforcement in to come in contact with Jackie mm -hmm. um, as far as like a person that could be a possible um, you know and got away I've always felt there might be something there mm -hmm. um, or they have witnessed something you know maybe it'll jar a memory hey I saw this going on and you might want to take a look mm -hmm. yeah. so yeah there's a lot of aspects of the show and it was really I'm going to give kudos really well Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's a good point because ultimately our hope out of doing the show um, was that something that, that doing the show would cause something to happen, some sort of yes. catalyst that will either spark the more information or a new lead or new evidence mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. that we can solve these cases. And so, you know, that's, that's what our great hope is. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Well, that, um, that, kind of really answered the next question we have, but <laughs> is there anything else y'all would like to add about how the involvement with the Cold Valley documentary has affected the investigation? I think it has helped the investigation. Yeah. Um, just in that, well, of course, if it helps me keep it in the forefront of my mind. Yeah. When mm -hmm. you have these, you know, people say, hey, what are you doing now? What are you going to do on the cases? Are you got anything going on? Well, I, then I have to think, well, yeah, I better keep going on this. So it's helped in that aspect. And then I, like I was saying, I hope it helps in the aspect of spreading the word out there. And yes. maybe it will bring something else to fruition for us. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, Could bring good then. And you, you always hope for that. Just because the case is cold doesn't mean that it's not solvable. Absolutely. Yeah. There could be a little nugget of information that's going to link everything together and everything will just go and blow up, you mm -hmm. know, get yes. some answers. That's our hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, we... I mean, I know we're, we're not ever probably going to be able to bring justice. Mm -hmm. You know, too many years have passed to have any sort of justice. But maybe some accountability. Yeah. But really, the answers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, for the families. Yeah. As what happened yes. and and why? Yeah. And I know that part of why will probably never ever be answered because we can't get into that 
into that mindset right. of that person. Yeah. Um, but at least some some type of resolve for the families would be right, yes. wonderful. Yes. Right? That would be wonderful. So, well, we have loved this opportunity to talk to you guys. Yes. Is there is there anything else that you'd like our listeners to know to know about this case or? Gosh. I don't know. We, we could probably talk about it for hours. Yeah. Yes. So, I appreciate your guys uh, taking the time to talk with us. Yeah. Um, yes. Thank you. And uh, certainly, if you're if uh, your listeners are interested, they can watch the show and. Oh yes. And then yeah. I think there'll be contact information up on the screen there if if someone has something that they need oh. to pass on to one of us. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> we yeah. were going to ask that. Jackie, Gloria, thank, thank you all you. so much for this yeah. and for all of the work y'all have been doing. Yes, y'all are dedicating so, so much time and, you know, we're we're rooting for y'all and mm -hmm. thank you so much thank for everything you. you do all the time. Yes. So. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. All right. Okay. Well, well, thank you. Thank y'all. It's now wine time for us. Yeah. Oh, good thank night. You. Thank Bye. you. Well... You guys, yeah. I hope you are now even more excited to watch Cold Valley on Thursday. Yes. It, that interview, we just finished it about, I don't know, a minute ago. Yeah. And I, that was amazing. That was everything I could have ever hoped. Mm -hmm. Getting to see and speak with Gloria and with Jackie about just their perspective and how the documentaries affected everything, how the cases have affected their lives. Wow. Yeah. Well, and just how, when you really think about, they're doing this, essentially all of this research and all this investigation on their own time. Both oh, of absolutely. Them. Like, you know, as Jackie was describing how she has, she's the only detective in a Soton County. And so everything involved mm -hmm. is on her shoulders. And Absolutely. so she goes home and I'm sure she works insanely long hours yeah. and then still works. Oh, absolutely. And it's these cases and the case on her other caseload are on her mind 100% of the time. Yeah. And for this Gloria, so this is, you know, one of her family members was involved, her cousin. And so in that way, that never leaves you. But yeah. instead of trying to bury that she's like no i'm gonna dive in headlong into this investigation i want to bring some closure to my family to the families of the other victims to everyone involved and that is inspiring it is it is it's so inspiring and just it makes me want to be involved just, i know just hearing hearing all of that thinking about you know, there's that one little nugget. And this is why, mm -hmm. like, if y'all see something, you say something. Like, Absolutely. there's a reason that's a phrase that we all say now because you never know when mm -hmm. your little bit of information could be what solves a yeah, case. Yeah, that's, that's the tipping point of the ev evidence that they needed to bring someone to justice. Yes, and be sure, um, like Jackie mentioned, that there's going to be some contact information on the documentary. Jot that down, especially if you happen to be in yes. the area or have family or friends in the area, just in case you know something. Mm -hmm. So you have that information to reach out to um, Jackie and to law enforcement to give them that nugget. Yes. Well, I do want to say make sure to go like and follow Investigation Discovery 
Yes. They were so incredible for reaching out to us with this opportunity and partnering with us on this. I mean, this has been a dream come true. It's being able awesome. to work with them on this podcast, being able to have an impact on this documentary. Yeah. Well, and investigation discovery is something that we've watched it forever. Like oh, we've yeah. always known about it. Like I never would have thought that we would have an opportunity to be a part of something like this, even yeah. if it is, you know, a smaller piece of the puzzle for but them. But for us, it's like, huge. I know for <laughs> us, I'm like, this is everything. And this is like, I know I mentioned it. This is dream come true. Yes. It really is. So make sure to go like, and follow them. It's also a great way to get more insight into their other shows and documentaries yes. that they're doing all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but while you're liking and following them, make sure to do the same for us. Like and follow us. Um, and you know, the, give us that five-star uh, rating on Apple Podcasts. Yes, please. Let us know what you think. Um, we're going to try to see if we can get more fun episodes like this. Yes. Where they're a little bit different, but I think just as impactful and just as interesting. Absolutely. And yeah, so okay. hope you enjoyed this. Yes, let us know your thoughts on it. I had an amazing time doing this and I would absolutely love to be able to do more of this. Yes. Oh, and be sure during our I don't know, live stream or whatever, live tweeting that we're going to yes. do during Investigation Discovery when this drops on Thursday, November 29th. Check your lo local listings for the time. Yes. And we'll be on. Would love to chat with you mm -hmm. as we're watching it all together. And then the second part, December 6th, yes. we will try to do another live um yeah, I totally want to Live showing, do it. live do tweeting, something. Yeah. yeah. So, all, all right. right. Well, thank you guys so, so much. XOXO. Blood and Wine signing off. Bye. Bye.